Hey, everybody. My name is Chris, and I'm one of the co-owners and creators at Band of Bards. You can find us at bandofbards.com. I'm happy to be here, and you're watching Two Geeks Talking. Hey, everybody. I'm Tim Stolinski, one of the co-owners of Band of Bards Comics. You can find us at www.bandofbards.com, and you're watching Two Geeks Talking. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Two Geeks Talking is an entertainment industry interview show where we interview the creative people from the comic, film, TV, movie, and video game industries. And of course, I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. We are joined today by one out of two halves of an amazingly talented duo who are doing publishing for comics. And I'll let them explain who they're publishing comics for and about. We're joined today by Chris Benamati, of course, from Band of Bars Publishing. How are you doing today, Chris? I just woke up a little while ago, put some Christmas decorations out. So, you know, getting ready for the season, burning down my house. As long as, you know, you your hair doesn't catch on fire, you'll be perfectly fine. <laughs> I'm chill with everything going on around me that's falling apart. So we're good. For those that don't know anything about Band of Bards and your publishing, and of course yourself as a creative person, tell us who you are and what your company is all about. Yeah, Tim and I, uh, he and I had gotten together a number of years ago, probably six coming up now. And he had this idea, which really started as interviewing veterans, because Tim's a veteran, our U.S. Army veteran, amassing these stories kind of like as a repository and then taking those and creating graphic novels out of them. It percolated for a little while. We had a plan in place and then, you know, life kind of happens. And uh, it took a while to kind of climb back out of it. So then the pandemic happened. Over that five years or so, four or five years or so, Tim and I kept talking and throwing these ideas back and forth. It kind of kept growing into this bigger and bigger idea that involved more. We grew up in the punk scene in Western New York and Buffalo, and it was always very inclusive for the most part. We realized that comics kind of lacked that uh, inclusivity when we put together Band of Bards. From the idea that it originally started for, we realized there was a lot more work we are trying our best to create kind of a home base to support the creator. I'm a creator. It's very important to me. And I've been in that position where I have felt not very appreciated or, you know, th there's a lot of discourse right now about creators and not being paid and having their stories being used for, you know, multi-billion dollar movies and not getting any cut of that at all. So, you know, we, we want to work on that and, there's groups of people too that fit into this that comics is just not very inclusive towards their stories aren't being told but we realized there's something missing and there's a lot of things that could be changed in march of this year we decided to incorporate we became an llc and started to build relationships and you know find great people to work with why is it important for the stories of the veterans to be told in a graphic format why why is it so important to to showcase not only their stories but also the inclusivity that is not being currently shown as much as it should be in comics? yeah i think with, with the original idea tim's idea is you only get this certain level this base level of like storytelling where um in that instance, because it's not all about veterans now, you know, it's our mission includes, you know, everybody, regardless of, you know, your race, your belief, the color of your skin uh, is we're very much focused on everyone and we, we want everyone to be a part of it. But the original idea is the real stories aren't being told. You're getting the story of like, you know, that that sniper guy that, you know, can hit somebody from you know, two miles away with his rifle and, and this big war hero, and they're forgetting about everybody else that's struggling and, and having issues, sometimes the darker parts, but also the, the better parts. People want that hero story for sure, but it's not representative of that whole community. And I think the, the thing with comics is that, you know, we realize without knocking it, because I love comics, like, don't get me wrong. I want everyone that we work with to be able to see themselves in the things that they're making, you know, to see themselves in the books that we're making, right? Which is all, which is what it should be about. It's difficult, especially when you're, when you see what's happening, especially with, with publishers these days. And, and the stories are out about Action Labs and a bunch of others as well too, you know, going through shady practices or not paying their creators like they should be, or, creators being taken advantage of by multi-million dollar corporations it's 
it's a sickening aspect when it comes to being a creative person, not only for video content creation or interviews like what I have or comics, etc. But in general, it's the arts have never been taken seriously and they've never been and they've been enjoyed by the masses for as cheap as the people would want to pay them for. For Band of Bards, though, what is the most important lesson now that you're an LLC that you've learned as a publisher? How hard it is, I think. I think when we came into it, we started in March with this mission. And when we kind of started to roll it out, the discourse in the in the community about working with a publisher and Kickstarter is such a good tool to use. Why would you want to work with somebody else when you could do it yourself? And essentially you can. I was thinking, what are we doing? Starting like nobody wants to work with a publisher. Where we found the most success is, is that we're truly different. When we started working with uh, Robin and developing uh, her book Final Gamble and getting that ready for uh, to try to raise some you know starter cash for it with Kickstarter, I just remember the Action Lab stuff happening, and we had started already working with uh, a literary attorney to you know create our contract. Great reporting by uh, the comic book Yeti and getting a copy of that Action Lab contract and then throwing that out on Twitter and saying, hey, what do you think of this? It looks kind of shady. <laughs> I'm just stunned at, you know, the way that they treated everybody on, on the IP. We went into this before that happened from the angle of creating a, a document or a contract that was just as good for the creator as it is for us. So the plan really was we started speaking to a literary attorney and to craft this contract, somebody who works with creators doesn't work with publishers. So we, we really were their only client that it is an actual publisher. And we said, you know, this, the way that we need this to work is that it has to be creator friendly. It has to protect us as a publisher, but it has to be creator friendly, as friendly as we can possibly make it. Also, it has to be evolvable. We have to be able to change it because I think one of the things that I learned watching all of this stuff unfold just as we're jumping into it is that you can't just dig your hole in the dirt and sit in it. You have to be able to evolve with the community and evolve with the the industry that's why it stays stagnant i think that's one of the things that we we've really done well so far and plan to continue to do is that we don't want to stand still or stuck in a rut of complacency when you both were looking at this particular contract or at least setting up this company you know what was some of the items coming to mind that you wanted to avoid based on um like maybe for creator creators keep their own ips etc i'm excited i didn't miss this because I actually prepared something for this. I would say the most important thing for us was hiring Melissa Mazaros from at, uh, Don't Hard PR. The short version of that right, is it like a very specific tactical thing to do. It was hiring her, giving a little bit more thought into that question as more of like the strategic side of that. It was spending a large amount of time, Chris and I speaking back and forth about what our vision for the company was. Who are we as this publisher? Who is it that we want to be? And also spending time thinking about who we're not. It doesn't take a whole lot of time out there in like comics, Twitter, and the rest of the comics community to see that like there's some really great people out there and there's some other shady stuff and then there's some like really not great people. And <laughs> I'm not dropping dimes on anybody to invite any kind of uh, back and forth. Knowing who you are, knowing your identity, and knowing who you're not and who you do not want to be associated with, branding is what that comes down to when it comes to like the specifics of what you do to try to figure out your brand. Really, it's figuring out your identity and figuring out building your reputation. And a giant boost for us in that was hiring Don't Hide PR because Melissa is fantastic. I think it gave us as new people into the comics realm, uh, as a new publisher, it gave us a lot of credibility when speaking with people, especially press outlets. I think that's probably the most important thing that we, our single most important thing that we did. There's plenty of extremely important stuff <laughs> that we did in like the build up to actually starting and committing to doing this. And then 
um, some of the things we've done along the way in the last nine months. Is there anything in particular that you can talk about that, you know, set yourself apart as a publishing company? This started, the initial concept of what we wanted to do came down to representation and storytelling. Sort of ambiguous. It's not super specific. And like, how do you build a company off of just that? And we're looking at it in terms of we both love comics. Chris writes and draws. I like to think I can write. I think we've been there. So we've done a lot of watching from the outside mm-hmm. while being minor participants, at least from my end. Prior to us starting, I had run my own uh, webcomic, which was moderately popular for a while. And then that's about the time that like real life happened and everything kind of fell off the rails. We, we're not coming at this without any experience, but since injecting ourselves into the community, like in like into it, into it, it's been kind of a wild ride. I think the big, the biggest thing that I want to convey is that, you know, we're really coming at this from the a creator's point of view and not an IP hoarding machine creators deserve to have you know their their rights to the stuff that they create and i think that that's where what sets us apart a lot of others is that we want to maintain that and keep that as as much of a possibility for anyone coming to us with a story or or an idea as possible you know we don't lock ourselves into like a set genre or a set format right like if you look at what we've got coming out in 2022, you've got a lot, a lot of different genres. You got horror, comedy, a spy thriller, a story of life. The mighty takes on a better, or not better, but like a deeper and, and unexplored look at some of the uh, some of the mythology around Thor and all of that. But post Ragnarok and without a lot of your well-known characters, so like it, it diving on it's Christmas. There's slice of life. We're all over the place, but that's because we want to simply make a quality story, you know, that is something that really kind of captures you and utilizes the strength of comics in terms of being able to establish that emotional bond with the reader. Great artwork and really just something that's going to fit in with our mission of increasing representation improving the diversity around it and being inclusive. So that's either in terms of the creative team, the story, or both. Um, And that's really, at the end of the day, the most important things for us is to further that mission rather than trying to make sure we're putting out, you know, strictly sci-fi or strictly horror or only putting out floppies. We've got floppies. We've got graphic novels. We have light novels. We've got manga coming out. So... Again, that goes back to being something that's more creator-focused. Um, and we're not forcing your story into a, a very neat little box. And we're taking a straight razor to that box and throwing it out. One thing I wanted to ask about specifically was, now that we've established the whole publishing side of, of what your company actually is and, and how you're for the creative uh, people that you have currently in your stable, who is in your stable? What comics do you have that, that you're excited about that you'd like to, that you're not only showcasing through your website, but maybe we'll touch on who you have upcoming that you haven't touched on. Yeah. So trying to go in closest order of our actual publishing sequence for the next year. Uh, we got final gamble and prospects that have both been successful on Kickstarter and Probably heading out to the printer in the next week or two. They're both yeah. pretty much almost like all done. So we'll fulfill those Kickstarters and then work on That's getting them in exciting. stores. It's very yeah. exciting. Targets, Spy Thriller, Bro D, can't be broken. And, and Bro D is like more of a slice of life type thing geared towards uh, young adults. And it'll be a nice large magazine format. There's Fellish and Sentience, both from Elise Russell. A couple of little like horror one shots. Elise has so many fantastic ideas in her mind. And we really like the one shot. You know, if there's anything that I think maybe we do gravitate towards, um, and for total practical reasons, is the one shot. Because being able to offer a complete story in one is a lot more helpful for us as a new publisher, but also when you're trying to compete with everybody else out there to get into a retailer. The one shot tends to a lot of times favored over like a series of floppies that maybe may or may not go to fruition 
store state to have that product end halfway through the story. Hush Ronin, a Jeremiah Shuk, kind of a neat like mashup of taking kind of like a, a, a spaghetti western and mixing it in with like feudal Japan and a big revenge story. Which, I mean, who the hell doesn't love that? Magni the Mighty from Devin Arshka, that I'm super excited for. And I've just this week got a whole bunch of like Neil Gaiman's different um, mm. novels on uh, Norse mythology. A little bit of reading and more research because it's really fantastic what Devin is doing with that because it's it's pulling up a lot more of the obscure, lesser known uh, deities and gods from Norse mythology. Magni and Modi are both are uh, two of Thor's sons, and it kind of takes place post immediately post Ragnarok with those two having to pick up the pieces of the the nine realms and put everything back together. So there's no Thor in that story, which like love Thor. Uh, I've got the just picked up <laughs> new Thor yesterday. I think it's something where a lot of people enough are like interested in that because of Thor and the different mainline, more popularized characters from that kind of mythology. But being able to see some of the lesser known characters and explore some of those different storylines of post Ragnarok are super cool. Reluctant hero with Alexandra McCarthy. This is cool. It's gonna be it's gonna be gigantic. <laughs> There's three volumes of this story, and it's more of a, again slice of life. It's centers around three like twenty something young uh, women, kind of like exploring finding yourself in the world and talking about loyalty to friends versus trying to also branch out and you know as you develop your own identity and find new interests and new friends and a little bit of horror in that or psychological uh, thriller I would say kind of like along the lines of a cruel intentions very cool I'm excited for that so that'll be going out like as a digital release first um chapter by chapter with a um, physical print of an entire volume age. So there should be three volumes, each with like five to six chapters. And that will be manga style as well. Alex has got fantastic art and uh, it's, this is pretty cool. That is something that, you know, Chris and I could never write a story like that. Um, and we certainly will be finding someone else to do the editing work on that. You've got, 20 year old young women probably don't want like a 40 year old guy as the editor of that. Again, the whole point with all these stories and how we're kind of like all over the board with it is to offer something for everyone, right? But everybody who goes into a comic shop should be able to pick up a handful of stories and see themselves in it. Hopefully we have done a pretty good job right off the bat of covering a whole bunch of different genres putting out something that will be interesting to more than just like one or two types of average customers that are made up by the marketing department. And we actually have a couple of things already slated in 2023. Uh, obviously a few of these things like um, Reluctant Hero will probably- You said, to, you said 2013 and I felt my hair growing back. I know. It's going back in time. 2023. But a couple of those series, that will run in 2022 will cross over into 23. Um, but so a couple of weeks here, we'll be announcing deal memo signed with uh, Travis Hill for his story, black gun. That's another story that will run more in like kind of like an individual trades that will have an individual four issue four chapter worth of uh, story arc per three different books in the Black Gun series that are put out by us. Um, each of them will be like a, a four-chapter story arc. Good, like 80-ish 80, 80 pages. A couple more, two or three more titles from Elise Russell because she has so many great ones. <laughs> we have the anthology coming, the horror we anthology have, we're doing yep. from the static. Well, yeah, that was kind of a rambling answer, but I, I had the full list in front of me, so yeah. <laughs> I just give you it all. Looking at then what you what you are currently producing, what you're looking towards the future on, what is your favorite genre that you both enjoy? I think for me, oh God, I kind of like everything. 
I suppose uh, that's such a lame answer. Um, <laughs> I like I like high fantasy stuff like Game of Thrones and and but I also like um, steampunk stuff. Like I grew up with real real early like '90s anime and manga. So we're talking like you know um, Battle Angel, yeah, Battle Angel Alita, and you know Vampire Hunter D. 2000s like full metal alchemist so i i like take all that stuff and it's a big ball and throw it on my shelf because it's that's what it is but you know and and when i was younger you know the first comic book my dad ever got me was like this real old hulk comic so i think i don't know it's between that or i think it might have been a batman comic or a swamp thing comic i get it mixed up because i'm i'm as old as he was at that point in time so the uh, Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, the, those types of stories that basically just throw you into this weird situation that you don't quite understand, but you kind of just go along with it, you know? Follow the yellow brick road. I, I'm the same way, right? Like, um, if usually like if the coloring and the art catches my eye, I'll probably pick it up. Was just looking at the stack that I picked up yesterday, trying to figure out if there's anything i mean a lot of action comics but commander rouse on the top of my pile on my pile here but there's a few different different transformer comics in there i always have spawn on the pool right so i guess if i'm looking at the things that i will always just without even having to see it put it on the pool probably still like those older actions but like being a child of the 90s i love spawn right i always go back and re-watch that animated show it was on HBO. Oh, the, H- the HBO one. This is yeah, it ran like for like three seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And now that they're going to be putting, supposedly putting like another Spawn movie or Spawn show back together, I really hope that they get a lot of the same voice actors, especially for Al Simmons, because that, that's the voice that I still hear in my head whenever I read a Spawn comic. It's just like Kevin Conroy is always oh, going yeah. to be Batman. Oh, yeah. He can't. And Mark Hamill's always going to be Batman. Uh-huh. He can't take away from those characters. Absolutely. that's funny like as much as i love batman i don't don't really i don't really get a lot of the bat comics i think and just overwhelmed by how many there are and i just don't even know like which one like it's too much choice you know both being creative people yourselves then what is your kryptonite for being creative yeah crippling uh imposter syndrome for me yeah my own brain yeah Hmm. it's absolutely why is that that's a great question. I think, um, I mean, I, I, I've elaborated on it before, but I used to, like when I grew up and in high school, comics were my thing, right? You had, like the, you had the image heyday, you had Spawn, which just, it kind of changed um, how comics worked for me. But I, I would sit in my room and I'd draw for hours, right? I just like have whatever issue next to me and, and copy the, you know, cover next like on a sheet of paper next to it and just you know and try to see how close i could get it right and just practice 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 and uh i thought as a kid i'm like oh well you know that's a great idea let's go to let's go to college and college sounds great it costs a lot of money and you pay for it and you're supposed to get better at the things you do so i go to college <laughs> and uh, i went to edinburgh university in pennsylvania and i will pulling no punches it's not even my second semester there and i had this drawing instructor who basically just decimated me like every time every class and it it was very much like it's not that i didn't understand that there's more to drawing than drawing your characters but he for some reason took a, a liking to me as far as like someone who needs to get basically entirely deconstructed and reconstructed back up to the top. And I'll never forget one of the last assignments in, in my drawing two class with this guy was he tells us just, you know, find somewhere to sit. Don't sit in your normal spot somewhere in, in the studio room and draw something that's terrible. So I sit down and I start drawing the wall outlet. <laughs> Just, you know, all wall outlet. He actually literally come beelines to me, 
beelines to me from talking to somebody else, comes and stands next to me, puts his hand on my shoulder and says, why don't you draw one of those shitty comic book characters you're always talking about? That would be crappier than this. And I'll tell you, that stuck with me literally for, well, I still struggle you know, with thinking if I'm good enough to do what I'm actually doing today. I woke up today. I was like, oh man, does this guy, Kurt, really want to talk to me? I don't think I'm that important or I'm doing anything great. But, you know, there, there's some days I'll wake up and be like, I don't why I even try. It's really hard and it's mentally taxing and it's exhausting. And I know that, I, you know, I, I think one of the things from this community that I've, I've kind of picked up is that there, it's not just me, right? And I kind of sat there and I struggled with it for so long um, thinking that, you know, this is, and this is just what I'm going to have to deal with. But I've actually found so much support um, from people in the community and, and people that I've just talked to uh, that go through the same stuff. And it's, you know, it's, it's good to know, but it's also terrible to know because think of all the things that just get shelved or put on a tape, uh, on, you know, it's put on the shelf because you just don't have the emotional energy to finish it. For me, I think over the last year is the is probably the first time I've actually tried to uh, like actively manage it. Like when I feel a certain way, or it it starts to kind of creep in, where I'm just like, that's just never going to be good enough, right? Like what you're doing, like why are you investing your time in this? Why are you, you know, why do you have all these people? attached to this like wagon that is eventually just going to shake loose. And, you know, I think that that's, that's my struggle now, not so much with my like personal art or writing, but with the, the whole idea of what we're trying to do. We have so many people attached to it right now and such a large responsibility to, you know, our friends and our creators who are supporting us. So I actively worked on managing it and sometimes it sucks still, but Sometimes I'm like, get the fuck out of my head, right? Other times it's just, you know, I feel good. Like, I feel good about it right now. Like, super good. And I don't have any reason not to feel good about it because Tim and I are doing, we're doing a good job and we're doing an honest job, I think, at it because this is, you know, it, the whole, our whole mission and everything that we've built from nothing to where we are has been our mission. We really have not gone off path so i feel really good about that and um i'm just i'm excited for the next year you know um you know it's a lot of the same stuff mostly because it's like who, who the hell are we to start all this or why should someone trust us to actually go and publish their story um that hangs in the back of my head a lot i i guess i would blame growing up catholic for a lot of this stuff <laughs> you know you have this um <laughs> Yeah. unrealistic sense of responsibility and duty to others. And sometimes you can really put yourself through a meat grinder mentally and, and feeling like you're not doing enough for you know, all these other people. The flip side to that is that honestly, it probably makes us a little bit more relatable as, and not some weird publishing entity. That's kind of like nebulous you know, where, creators deal with the same thing and if someone came to me and said oh, i'm not really like a real comics creator because i haven't been published yet i'm like are you creating comics well then you're a cre comics creator doesn't matter if you publish or not you're creating them um and i need to give myself a little bit of the same kind of pep talk here and there we have two titles going out to the printer here we're starting to fulfill some orders in the next couple of months and it's just going to get faster and faster from there. Like we're a publisher understanding that I need to look at myself more in that like outward or external view rather than my own internal view of myself. It is what I need to keep reminding myself about it because somebody shouldn't be coming to us or hearing from us or seeing us talk about how, I always say we're very unserious people because I have a hard time continuing a serious conversation like this without <laughs> making some sort of self-deprecating joke, right? But yeah. like, you know, people are confident in coming to us with their stories because we have done some things right. And Chris and I just have to constantly remind ourselves that like, hey, 
we aren't like big names that came from a big publisher and started our own project, but we do know what the hell we're doing. And we have a very firm plan and some really great supports around us. So just focus on getting each of those little short-term goals knocked out of the park and with an eye on what the long-term vision is. You guys get nervous approaching a comic creator in terms of mm -hmm. trying to sign them to your current stable? All the time. A little bit, yeah. 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 It's, um, you know, because I feel like that was like always, always my thing. Like I, I'd send out pitch after pitch after pitch. You never hear anything back. Like not even rejections. Like, can you please just send me a rejection letter that says it's not good? Because then I don't know if this idea that I got is good or not. Right. And I just, you know, I, it must be terrible. So I'll throw it away and I won't touch it ever again. Like it, it it's, was always nerve wracking for me. And I don't understand how I got on the other side of it sometimes, you know, because like we'll, we'll talk to these uh, like these, these big creators, like, you know, meeting Robin for the first time and talking about final gamble and all the ideas that she had for the book. And, you know, um, you know, our original conversation out of, out of nervousness, I don't bring up anything past like the six issues that she pitched. And then, you know, you find out a couple of weeks later, Oh, well, I got like 30 more <laughs> right in the pipeline. It's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm nervous. So I don't want to, I don't want to overextend at the same time. They're nervous too. So that's, that's what I deal with. <laughs> I understand that at this point that there's just not enough publishers and money going around to put out all the great stories and great comics that there are out there. Definitely not enough money. Yeah. I mean, not people are coming to us because they're putting some faith in us and that shouldn't be scary. When I see the names attached to some of the submissions on, uh, from the static, that's starting to be a little intimidating because it's like, holy crap, there's a lot of good stories. And I'm like, Oh wow, this, this person is attached to this pitch. Like, we really are going to have to put something spectacular together. And that's a little scary, but it's also fun. And you're also thinking at the same time, like, okay, someone with like a little bit of a, a portfolio with other published work somewhere else is coming to us. If we extend an offer to them, like, are they going to laugh at us or are they going to look at it and say like, Hey, this is a good deal. Right. That that's probably what's always back in, in the back of my mind. And what I think we found out so far from the contracts we have extended is that we have been able to put together a pretty fair shake uh, for all parties. When was the first time that, and this is for either of you, when was the first time that either of you learned that language had power? Cool. <laughs> um, are we talking just bad language or language altogether? Because one time when I was a child, I may or may not have walked into my grandparents' kitchen. And as my grandfather would sit there in his kitchen and smoke his cigarettes, my grandmother making coffee cake or something. I don't know. She made everything. Like she'd just be baking all the time. Okay, Grandma, guess what I learned today at school? Oh, what's that? I learned the word fuck. And shit. <laughs> and hell, and damn, and ass. And, you know, you kind of roll through all the different words you learn. And I learned that when I got home, my grandma's not somebody to talk to about that because then she reported it to my mom. And if you want to talk about the power of bad words, I was grounded for quite a bit. <laughs> um, but the, the, the overall, the overreaching power of language it, and, and, and writing and comics and stuff, it just... It transcends barriers, I think. Um, it it it's becomes such a thing because you know in the in the nineties, like superhero movies didn't really work, right? It's just so very strange to see how everything has changed since then. We would once in a while get like, you know, like, something come up like towards the end. You you had like the first Spider Man, or you had like Batman nineteen eighty nine, and in those Batman movies. But then eventually the Batman movies got lame, and you had nipples on the bat suit. <sighs> and then people like, well, you can't do superhero movies. You don't have the ability to do it. And then you know it just it the mid two thousands start. It takes off. You know twenty. You know the you get Iron Man in what is it two thousand six 
2008 i can't remember yeah somewhere around there and then all bets are off now and now it's superhero movies and you've got dudes like ridley scott complaining about how superhero movies aren't movies right and you know whatever they're movies and they came from comic books and and the people who wrote those comic books and those stories should get paid for it i'm just gonna stick that in there right there but i mean the it's definitely changed and i think the the written word and language and how important it is um, especially with how you use it and how you elaborate on it and how you build off of it so important um just for learning creating some sort of compendium of history um not to get philosophical but i feel like we'd be in a we'll be in a better place once stuff starts getting real again probably when my dad was yelling at me (laughs) makes sense yeah (laughs) i did always have um i had a instructor in the army who would always get when we're studying writing like operational orders understanding doctrinal terms He'd always flip his shit when we use something wrong or sloppy. And he'd just go, damn it, words mean things, right? And a lot of my classmates just didn't understand that. And they thought it was funny and they would giggle because like this guy would, um, it was kind of funny. But I said to him like, yeah, you need to be careful with your choice of words and the language you use and say what the hell you actually mean. And that was the whole point of all that. And I always still get the mental image in my head of Captain Took yelling at us like that. See, Kurt, I told you Tim is a much better speaker than I am. I ever could be. But like, that's, you know, that's always stuck with me. And I always try to remember that, that like whenever I'm speaking or writing, you know, to be very intentional in it. And like, which is kind of funny because then like I take pauses when I'm speaking and I probably speak with like a slower cadence than most Western New Yorkers because of like just traveling in the South and, and, but because of that too, and putting a little bit extra thought into what you're trying to say and communicate probably solve a lot of problems in the world. Um, before I do that, is there anything that I haven't touched upon that you'd like to showcase those that are watching and listening to this interview? I think you've done a great job. This has been fun for, a, you know, <laughs> a morning interview it's been terrific yeah i appreciate that yeah saturday morning is not always the easiest for (laughs) for anybody but it's a good interview man everyone has one person that inspired them on their path to where they are today who was that for you and this is for either of you oh wow inspiration um Um, you you go first you go first i'll let you think some more um that's easy because like, I'm surrounded by this stuff. But my uncle Joe, um, like, not exactly comics related or anything that inspired me to go into comics, right? But like, my uncle Joe, my aunt Verge were the people who would watch me after school when I was growing up. He was on a B seventeen in World War Two. He was in a top turret, and his basement had all these different model airplanes and photographs from from him in World War Two. Um, and this thing, it was in a plaque, it was like a, um, a certificate of the Lucky Bastard Club. And I always got kicked out looking at it, but they would give that to bomber crews that finished their tours of duty. And at the time he was in, it was only 25 missions. Um, eventually it went up to like, I think 35 and then maybe 50. But the average lifespan of a bomber crew was something more like seven missions. So if you made it for to that full 25 during 1943, 1944, that you absolutely were a lucky bastard. He was so patient with me all the time and would teach me so much stuff just by sitting around talking at the dinner table or, you know, going and playing. He had like a big workshop set up in the basement. I would just go hammer nails into wood and think it was like the most fun thing in the world. And I can remember like at one point we were talking about the differences between like World War II and Vietnam. And I said, you know, in typical, like probably 12 year old type of thinking that, you know, he was lucky that he was in a good war and not a bad one like Vietnam. And uh, the patience he must have exhibited at, at that time, because he just kind of like sighed a little bit and looked at me and he goes, Timmy, there's no such thing as a good war. And, um, uh, he passed away when I was still in college, so he didn't get to see me commission or you know serve or anything. 
but I always kind of took a lot of his lessons with me and think back on it. And that's why like now in my home office, I've got the planes hung up all over and they're on my shelves and the photographs of him are right here in the corner by me. And that's something that I think helps keep me grounded because I just look over at his picture and, you know, I'm thinking it, is what I'm doing in life or what the person that I've become something that he'd be proud of. So. Damn. That's really good. Nice job. Thanks, man. Very thoughtful. I didn't know that. So I knew about the planes, but I didn't know the whole story behind <laughs> it. So I appreciate that. Look, we get something new every time we're interviewed. Your turn. Great. Oh, it's my turn. Shit. Um, I learned 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago now, when my first child was born, you have the opportunity, at least this is how I see it, the opportunity to create something and bring something into this uh, world that's going to leave a lasting impression. And I had my, f my first daughter was born uh, 11 years ago in February. With the imposter syndrome and, and the, the struggles, I always would go back to thinking about her and thinking about her sister and now her stepsister, trying to find a focus to use them as and how they handle life on a daily basis. Because it, back then it wasn't so very extreme. You know, it was their little babies crawling around. But now I have an almost 11-year-old who has, who is very much uh, a very emotional kid. And and she wears she wears how she feels on her sleeve and, and I respect it and but sometimes it's it's wild uh, the the way that they handle the the big things no matter how large they seem it it always seems like I can look at you know my eight year old and she'll say to me well dad that's not that big of a deal it'd be different tomorrow for me. It kind of helps me level out my focus and think that maybe I am, maybe I do handle things a little bit extreme sometimes. Not extreme is a bad word. Like push me down and, and it becomes this like weight on my shoulders that I feel like I have to continually carry. And I just need to remember that, you know, Addie says, just chill, dad. Who they are inspires me to be a better person for them and, and make better things happen for them. I think also um, I've come to the realization that I want to leave something hopefully lasting for them. And, and you know, if, if the publisher fails, if Band of Bards fails in uh, 10 years or, or whatever, the, the point is, is that I did it and I didn't just sit in the hole that I dug and be and was complacent. And I showed them, at least I hope I showed them that you, you can you do have the opportunity to do what you want to do if you want to do it. And I spent a lot of years of my life kind of just floating around through space, not knowing where I wanted to be or what I wanted to do. So the point is you be you, right? Which is kind of what they showed me because you've got two, you know, three young kids um, who are just themselves all the time, right? until they probably reach a certain age when they try to be somebody else. And I think that as an adult, I kind of re realized that um, there's more potential there and I need to stop being so serious, but I, at the same time, you know, set a good example. From a professional standpoint, you are both publishers now of comic books. You are both creative in your own way, not only if it's creating art or writing or both. So from a professional standpoint, you are successful, but do you consider yourselves personally successful? No, not yet. I have a lot to do. I think I don't want to be an internet influencer or famous. I like, I don't need to be in front of the camera. As far as I'm super happy where we are now, I know that there's more that we can do, not just as a company publishing comics, but as an, like an ignition point for change in an industry that needs it. And I think in the, over the last year, we've kind of seen it from others, not so much that I've been following what we want to do, but the comic community, it, it's definitely there. It's going to require work. One of the great examples I saw just this last week was, you know, storyboard artists get $70,000 to $140,000 a year. I think that's like industry standard, like in Hollywood and stuff. And why are comics any different? 
right? Why is a comic artist any different? It's sequential art. Some of the argument is, is that, oh, a comic artist is only drawing a storyboard. It's not that important or not that great. That's not true. It should, it just goes to show me that there's still a lot of work to be done. And, it, and I can't do it all. You know, we can't do it all, but we can at least be like a spark um, or a starting stage for somebody else to also, you know, say, well, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm, it's time to move up and it's time to change things. I'm not saying we've changed anything at this point, but I don't think I'm going to be personally happy until we probably do. I always try to remind myself to celebrate the wins. And remember what you still want to do. It's one of those little mental health things because it, you absolutely deserve to and should celebrate the big and small wins that you get day in, day out. But you can't like sit back on your laurels and be satisfied or just be like, that's good enough. You know, complacency kills. This is probably like, you know, people say my toxic trait is like, that's probably like the, one of like the bad things about my personality is that I keep pushing myself to do more and more and more stuff um and at some points i gotta wonder like am i trying to do too much and overwhelm myself or like am i doing this for the right reason there's a little bit of a double-edged sword to that right but i think at the end of the day like being successful is a process and it's something that isn't like a benchmark you hit and i'm like i'm done right there's people that get to the top of their profession in any way, like a sports team that wins a championship, you know, an actor who lands a gigantic deal and is the talk of Hollywood. Like, you know, you can always fall from grace after that. So like, you can't just be happy that you hit that mark and sit back and do nothing for the rest of your life. Go out there, do something good every single day, you know, whether it's professionally, creatively, or just like an act of compassion and go out and do that every single day. Oh yeah. The reverse of success is a failure. How do you deal with your failures? It's, uh, it's part of the process, right? Like yeah. it's like a little bit of a cliche thing, but like you can understand that you're going to stumble and you know, we've had failures that from luckily have all been like small things that were easy to like adjust on or missteps that you can quickly recover on failure is going to happen. And the mark of like being successful, I'd say is how you react and respond to a failure. The younger generation is looking at your work and they're becoming inspired to be creative in their own way, whether it is as a writer, a comic artist, or possibly even a, a business owner, maybe in publishing, who knows how they want to be creative. How can they inspire the generation that follows them? I want my kids to, um, I want my kids to be themselves, to be good people and, uh, to listen to other people as well. I think that one of the things that, uh, is kind of missed is thinking about others and thinking of, you know, being unselfish, uh, when you do things. I want them to follow their dreams, regardless of what they want to be. And like one of them wants to be a, a zookeeper and the other one wants to be a YouTube star. I'm like, all right, if that's what it is, then go for it. I'll support you. Just be a good person while you do it. Chris and I, we're aging punks. So I'd always yeah. tell a younger kid, go do things your own way. You know, don't feel beholden to systems and power structures understand the rules of the game and how sometimes you might need to play it but carve your own path do your own thing and be a good person well i do hate to say this but and this is probably because zoom keeps popping up a message saying to hey our interview is done but it's time to take a break is, <laughs> yeah. our interview is unfortunately done on two geeks talking i do want to thank you both for coming on the show i greatly greatly appreciate it we didn't get to all the questions i wanted to ask so that means you have to come back on next year okay cool. and talk about more stuff let's so do it good thing. i like yeah. that idea this was great yes thanks yeah. for having us this is a fantastic interview not yeah. a problem but before I let you go, how can we support you? Where can we find you? And how can we get in touch with you on social media? Okay. Well, uh, our webpage is at bandabards.com. Super easy. B-A-N-D-O-F-B-A-R-D-S.com. 
Um, we're at Twitter at Band of Bards. Tim and I are both individually on Twitter too. It seems to be like the best uh, place yeah. for interacting with the comic community. We're on everything else too, pretty much at Band of Bards, like Instagram. And I think Facebook is at Band of Bards Comics. If you go to the website, there'll be the links to those different social medias, but we're also um, on Twitch and YouTube as well. So we did a live stream last night. So kind of a new thing for us. We're going to be live streaming every Friday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, we we are still some, uh, accepting submissions, and, so if anyone sees this and wants to throw a comic idea our way, yeah. you can do it via our webpage as well. Our email addresses are there. We're pretty talkative, and each of us is very easy to reach. Yep. So we also have our Discord as well. Yeah, we have Discord. Too, yeah, so. yeah, pretty, that's been pretty fun. Like there's last couple of things with uh, doing the Discord and the and the live streaming. It's all about just trying to. Increase the fan engagement, right? Be more approachable and offer a couple different avenues for people to kind of just get to know us as people and a publisher a little bit more and give a little bit of um, a platform to the bards. So like, for instance, um, on the Discord server, there's individual public channels for any of the um, titles that we've signed and committed to as long as like the creator wants to be involved like that we don't force them to do it and say like hey you got to go do this stuff for like x amount of time a week so you know if you're interested in any of those titles um pop onto the discord and see if they have a uh individual channel or if not there's the general uh general chat and stuff too so you can just kind of get to know all the bards a little bit more and uh, engage with other fans oh yeah well, like I said, that ends this particular episode of Two Geeks Talking. Again, thank you, Chris and Tim, for coming on the show. I do greatly appreciate it. <laughs> that green screen's really well. Yeah, it's yeah. not really well. <laughs> um, you can find this interview and, of course, thousands of others on our website, tgtmedia.com or twogeekstalking.com. And, of course, it's more up-to-date on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash c forward slash TGT Media. And of course, as I say every week, everyone has a story to tell and Zep to me to help bring that out. Thanks for listening watching on Two Geeks Talking. Thanks, Kurt. See you, everybody. Not a problem. Hey, all Kurt Sasso here from Two Geeks Talking. If you like this video and these quick clips here, make sure you take a look at our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash TGT Media. Make sure you hit the like button and subscribe as well. Hit the bell to make sure you get notifications, of course, from videos like this here. Thank you everyone for listening and watching over the years and keep listening and watching for new and exciting interviews with talented and creative people in the entertainment industry. I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. Thank you so much.